Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, Jordan Syatt's in the house. Yo, yo. Hi, Jordan. How are you? Jordan. What's going on? We're so excited to have you. I'm stoked to be here. So, Jordan, you know, Nicole sent me your social media and immediately my first response, as it always is, is who the fuck is this clown? And then... (laughs) (laughs) And then... Uh, one of my other, love. <laughs> and then one of my other friends, Steph, she posted your content like a few weeks later because Nicole was like, we got to get this guy on the podcast, look into him. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I, <laughs> and then I was like, uh, then my friend Steph posted something and I was like, all right, let me look at this guy's content. And I was like, this content is really good. Yeah, and then see, I, I told into, you. And then I looked into you and your background and your history and I was like, Dude, this guy is the perfect storm for success in this industry, both yeah. in training and nutrition and online. So that's where I want to start with you. I want to talk about your history, your background, because I, I think it's like the perfect storm and the perfect setup. And anybody who didn't take advantage of that is just foolish to me. Awesome. Uh, thank you. And I appreciate the kind words. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much. So, Jordan, you started out of. Westside Barbell, correct? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I did train out of Westside. That's not where I started, but yeah, I, I did train out of there for about three and a half, four months. It was crazy. You trained directly under Louis Simmons? Yeah. I trained with Louis 11 times a week. So basically it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, we would train two times a day. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, we would train one time a day. And, uh, in between sessions, I would go back to his office and he'd be like, all right, read these books. And, you're going to take my certification when you're done training here. And I mean, it was crazy. He would take me out to breakfast every day, take me out to lunch every day, pay for all my meals. Like it was, it was insane. Louis is the nicest and most generous guy in the world. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then from there you went on to, uh, Eric Cressy, right? Yep, exactly. So I trained at Westside and then within four or five months later, I trained at Cressy performance. Great stuff, man. So, I mean, you're talking about the, some of the leaders in the industry, right? Like yeah. pro- probably what I would consider the powerlifting mecca, right? Myself, I come from a bodybuilding background. So we, we look at it as we've got the West Coast and the East Coast mecca, right? We've got Bev Francis <laughs> Powerhouse in Syosset and you've got, um, you know, Gold's Gym where Arnold used to train way back in the day. Yep. And when you hear Westside Barbell, you, you look at it and you're like, this is the powerlifting, like this is where it's at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's... uh. For anyone who doesn't know, it's it's essentially the strongest gym in the world, like literally the strongest gym in the world. When I first emailed Louie, I, I was a freshman in college and I was like, I really want to train there. So I was like, I'll take the trash out, I'll clean the floors, I'll walk your dogs, whatever you'll let me do just to train there. And his response was verbatim. He wrote, our weakest guy squats 800 pounds. What do you have to offer? And uh, wow. I think that's... <laughs> 
probably the the best way to explain <laughs> the the type of of strength at that gym that their chump squats eight hundred pounds. So where where did you go from there? How far did you take it? With I'm not too familiar with like your powerlifting background. Um, I, and Nicole's been following you for a while, so you know she's a little bit more familiar. But where, where did you take it in terms of the powerlifting? So in terms of powerlifting, I uh, I ended up deadlifting four times my body weight. So I deadlifted 535 at a body weight of 132. And uh, that was like my, my big sounding off point for my career. That's where people really started to follow me because I'm a short dude, right? I'm five foot four. I competed at 132. And uh, people were looking at me like, this guy is pretty tiny, but he's lifting some serious weight. One of the only people in the world to deadlift four times his body weight. Like that, that's really what got me into the industry in terms of getting my name out there. And it also happened right around a time where women in powerlifting started to become popular. So when I was reaching the peak of my powerlifting career, it was getting to a point where there were entire powerlifting meets just for women, which like for the years prior to that, that never happened. Mm -hmm. Like there might've been a couple of women in a meet, but to get to the point where I started powerlifting and when I first started, there were never any women there. Then a couple of years in more and more women started to compete. And by the end of it, there were entire meets just for women. And I think I was, uh, I was a lifter that a lot of women like to follow and, and keep an eye on because a lot of women, they want to get stronger, but they don't want to get big and bulky, right? And forever, powerlifting has been this idea of like big juice heads walking around, like they're just big and bulky and they can't move and they're immobile and they're strong, and, but they can't do anything else. So to see like a relatively small, not overly massive kid lifting a lot of weight. And also I was super flexible. I can do backflips, like very mobile gymnastics, like doing a lot of like high level body weight training. In addition to powerlifting, I think a lot of women were like, all right, this, this doesn't have to be the meatheads only world. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I started following you. To be honest with you, I was a ballerina. I weighed like 98 pounds soaking wet. And wow. when I started getting into training, I wanted to get stronger for performance, but I also later on in my career, wanted to get stronger and bigger. I wanted to actually put weight on. I think it's one of the places with women that we don't talk about. A lot of women are trying to lose weight, but there are some of us out there that are trying to gain weight. So I started listening to a lot of your content in terms of, because I, I believe you wrestled as well, yeah. correct? Yep. At like between 103 and 112? Is that yeah. So, so my, my freshman year, I cut from 112 to 103 pounds. Yeah. So I thought that was up to 125, but yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty incredible to go from a wrestler at such a low weight and like, I know how hard it is to cut weight as a wrestler. I dated one. Um, <laughs> and then to be able to go into powerlifting, I, that definitely piqued my interest as well. That's amazing. I love that. I think it's a cool transition. I think it's also yeah. kind of like a, it's, it's a common transition. You'll either find uh, wrestlers that go into powerlifting or I, you know, I had a close friend of mine that went from uh, wrestling and he, he was a really good wrestler. And then he went from that to bodybuilding and then he was a phenomenal bodybuilder. He was a sick bodybuilder. And I was like, man, if I had his genetics when I was bodybuilding, it would be awesome. I had, <laughs> I had good. I did well. I did decent. But, you know, his genetics, like he, he could have been pro, but, you know, went in other directions. I think you, it's a very common route to see wrestlers go into something fitness related. So much of their upbringing has to do with being in the gym and lifting weights and strength training, but also the nutrition side is just yeah. such an integral component of it that I think it's a very 
seamless transition. I shouldn't say seamless because there's a lot of bumps and, and, and roadblocks in it. It's a predictable transition because so much of their life revolves around that already. Yeah, absolutely. You talk a lot about going through cutting weight and I guess going through uh, binge eating. Can you talk a little bit about how that, from a nutrition standpoint, I guess, from wrestling into powerlifting, how that changed for you? Yeah. So wrestling is really what exacerbated my disordered eating habits growing up. And it was interesting because in, when you're binge eating, it's something that people tend to keep private, right? It's they, they don't want other people to know. Oftentimes they're doing it at night when they're alone. Like very rarely are people binging just out in the open. Wrestlers do that. And they do it as a team, like they do it together. Yeah. And that's why I didn't know anything was wrong with it at first because I was a freshman, I was 13, 14 years old. And I was just listening to what the 16, 17, 18 year olds were doing. I was like, I don't know how to cut weight. They're like, all right, so you're just not going to eat for two days. And then about 12 hours before competition, we're going to start like sweating out a lot. And then once we weigh in, then you can eat as much as you want for the next like 12 to 24 hours. Then we're going to have to start over again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. Like, I couldn't believe I was on varsity as a freshman. I, I beat a junior for the varsity spot. So to have that, it was just like, this is, this is it. This is the greatest honor in the world. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And um, so what we would do is as a team, for everyone who had to cut weight, you'd lose the weight, you'd suffer together, and then you would binge together. And it was something that was like, we'd go to a buffet after, or we'd spend all day at the tournament eating as much as we possibly could, whatever it was. And it, it didn't seem weird because there was a lot of camaraderie through that. But that habit perpetuated once wrestling was over and it was exacerbated also by intermittent fasting. My, my wrestling coach at the time, uh, this was in 2007, encouraged me to do intermittent fasting and nothing's wrong with intermittent fasting. It's not like there's anything inherently bad about it, but if you already struggle with binge eating or are likely to binge eat, intermittent fasting will perpetuate that. Like it's, it's a very clear, all right, so what you're going to do is you're not going to eat for a significant period of time. Then you can eat a lot in this small period of time. It's like, okay, that's essentially binge eating. So I started doing that in 2007 and I did that all through the rest of my wrestling career and into powerlifting. And then the, the part, the, one of the attractive parts about powerlifting for me from the weight and nutrition perspective was that in wrestling, you have to cut weight sometimes two, three times a week. Mm-hmm. Like, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight. And for powerlifting, it's like you just do it once every four to six months. It's really not that big of a deal. So it's like, ah, I can do this, no problem. <laughs> the, the eating habits persisted and the binge eating persisted and the intermittent fasting perpetuated it to a point where once I was no longer wrestling and I didn't have these teammates around me to make it seem like it was okay, well, then I wasn't going out to dinners. Or if I was going out to dinner, I would say, I'm not hungry anymore. Like, I'm just not going to eat. But then I'd go home and I'd have 5,000 calories. And then my friends would all go out to, to go out to breakfast. Or, and they'd be like, hey, let's go out to eat. And I'd be like, no, 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 I, I don't eat breakfast. I'm intermittent, I'm intermittent fasting. And it was like this idea that eating breakfast was going to make me fat. And that intermittent fasting was optimal for fat loss. And it was that fear of not eating breakfast and missing out on all these social events that really started to get to my head. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I know eating breakfast doesn't make you fat. I know this isn't an issue. So early on in my powerlifting career, like before I even started to make a name for myself at all, I remember I was at my mom's house. I was in her apartment in Chelsea. We, we lived in Chelsea and we were at my mom's house there and I was on winter break from school and I just had a huge binge. She was sleeping and I felt terrible. I was like, man, like this is awful. So I went into the bathroom. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, 
you're not going to binge anymore. Like this is it. And basically I came up, I was like, you have to eat breakfast starting tomorrow. You must eat breakfast. Cause what you do is you binge, you feel terrible. And then you're like, all right, I'm not going to eat the whole rest of the next day to make up for it. But then what do you do? You binge again. So like, I have to eat breakfast. So from that day, which I was 20, 21 years old, I haven't binged since. And the main difference was I just started eating breakfast and I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, you're just not allowing yourself to do this anymore. And, and that was it. You yeah. kind of just had to break the cycle. Yeah. yeah. You just have to, you have to do something to break the cycle. And for me, that was eating breakfast. Yeah. Was that a different, uh, difficult cycle to break for you? Or you just were just like, I'm just doing it. Brutal. It, I mean, it was the, the first breakfast was so hard that, and it's actually, it's still up there. Instagram didn't exist at the time. I took a picture of it and I posted the picture on my Facebook page, uh, just on my personal Facebook page. It's still there. It's the, basically my whole idea was every day I can have three meals and two snacks mm-hmm. and my, each meal can fit on one plate and each snack would fit in the palm of my hand. So I just made a huge plate for breakfast because I was worried that like I was going to get hungry later on. So I was like, I'm going to eat as much as I possibly can at each meal to make sure that I'm full at night and I don't binge. And um, basically I just took a picture of it. I was like, this is my first breakfast in like however many years, like seven years, whatever it was. So it was my first breakfast, da, 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 like some probably in my mind at that point, like some type of inspirational type quote that was really meant for me, not anybody else. <laughs> like at that point I was talking to myself. Right. But I think a lot of times people read a caption and they think they're talking to other people, but a lot of times people are writing a caption for themselves. So I wrote a caption for myself, basically like, all right, first breakfast in over many years, like, let's do this, whatever it is. And it's still up there on my Facebook. I haven't looked at it in years, but uh, that's what I had to do to break the cycle. You know, it, it's interesting because for a lot of listeners, I know a ton of people that try different things, keto, intermittent fasting. Um, now we've got the carnivore diet, right? And the, I've got my own kind of thing with the carnivore diet, which I don't want to get into, but... We can get into it, man. <laughs> I believe it. you did it, Jordan, right? I did. A, I did. I was like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, rather than just telling people how ridiculous it is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show them how ridiculous it is. So I did it for 14 days and uh, it was arguably the most uncomfortable experience of my entire life, <laughs> especially for my butthole with all, yeah. absolutely awful. Well, you know what? I yeah. just look, I just look at it from a standpoint of just like fiber and produce and getting your vegetables in. And I'm like, we've got so much like quantitative amount of research on the, on eating fiber and the benefits on your heart, the cholesterol, the benefits for anti-cancer, right? Antioxidants, phytochemicals. And I'm like, what, like, why are you, I don't get it. It's insane. It's so outrageously stupid. It's mind boggling. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's, it's, uh, I think what's happened is it's sort of like a natural response. The fitness industry runs on a pendulum of extremes, right? Yeah. Let's talk like, about it. That's it. The fitness industry is like, it's either good for you, bad for you, right for you, wrong for you, healthy, mm-hmm. unhealthy, fattening, fat burning, whatever. That's the fitness industry. And it's easier to sell something when it's, there's this like, there's a term in marketing, a unique selling proposition. This is like a real term that marketers use. You need a unique selling proposition. And when something is unique or weird or odd, it's like, cool. So you have a better opportunity to sell it because it's something unique about it. I think this was the natural response to plant-based and vegan lifestyles becoming so, so popular. And unfortunately, I would say a very vocal minority of them being outrageously angry and rude and pushy with their beliefs. I think then the other side was like, well, fuck it. I'm only going to eat meat. (laughs) Fuck you. And like, I think that's just what (laughs) happened with that. 
Yeah, I, you know, I also true. think that there was like that autoimmunity piece. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not really buying it. You've basically done an extreme version of an elimination diet and you've just left meat in when you've taken out other things that probably could have been affecting you in terms of creating an inflammatory environment inside of your body. Correct. It doesn't have to be, hey, I'm just going to eat meat for the rest of my life. It could have just been an, an elimination strategy to find out what was affecting you. And it's to me, it's just it's crap. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. Anyone who says fruits and vegetables are bad for you and you shouldn't have any beans, right. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, this is one of the reasons why I love your content because everything is so middle road and balanced. Like Thank your you. per your perspective is well, one, it's hilarious because your characters just make me laugh out <laughs> loud, and two, the education is it it makes sense. You know, when you listen to everything that you're talking about. It makes sense where I feel like a lot of when you talk about the, the, the broad spectrum, some of it you listen to and you're like, well, really? Yeah, I, I don't get that. It's also it's coming from a place where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm educated, but I don't have to throw out a bunch of fancy words to show you that. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, and, that, and people can understand your content. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. That's exactly what I go for. And But for whatever it's worth, if you go back and look at my content from 2011, 2012, 2013, like my articles on my website, mm -hmm. you'll see an author who was insecure about his knowledge. So I would use big words. I would try, I'd talk about anterior pelvic tilt and I'd talk about the crab <laughs> cycle and I'd talk about your, like all this stuff because I was worried about what other coaches thought about me. So then I would try and use big words to try and impress them rather than actually writing content in a way that the people who need the help most could understand it. Right. If you had to go back and tell your young self as a coach, three things, what three things would you tell yourself? Oh man, that's tough. I would say three things. Number one is get okay with being wrong. Mm. Right. Like this is like really, really important. It's one of the most important lessons I've learned is a lot of coaches, they're so afraid of being wrong that they dig their heels in deeper to whatever, whatever it is they're following, whatever method they prescribe to. And they block themselves off from being able to learn, from being able to help more people. It also inhibits them from making good content or if any content at all, because oftentimes they get so deep into one thing and they're so afraid of being wrong that they become afraid of confrontation. Yeah. They become a, like they're like, well, what if, what do I do if someone says that I'm wrong? It's like, well, maybe you are wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe you're making a mistake and what you're saying is incorrect. I remember I, I was speaking with a coach who was like, she was petrified to do Instagram lives. I was like, why are you scared? She was like, well, what if someone comes on there and says that I'm wrong? Or oh no, she goes, what if I what if I'm on there and someone asks me a question I don't know the answer to? Yeah. And I was like, you look in the camera and you say. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that's it. It's like, you don't, you won't know the answer to everything. You will be wrong. You would rather be a coach that people can trust because they know that you're going to tell them honestly, whether you understand it or you don't. And yeah. also that you're going to have an open mind to being able to change your mind. For me, one of the best things I ever learned from Eric Cressy was if you're not looking back at the programs you wrote six months ago and thinking that you, they're terrible, then you're not getting better as a coach. Same thing with your ideas and your coaching methods in all aspects of fitness. Like if you're not able to look back at what you were doing and say, man, that was really bad, then you haven't gotten any better. And what the fuck is the point? Like you're supposed to be getting better. Right. So that's, you cool. know, it, it's funny because <laughs> we'll the, take one. That's a good one. <laughs> the, the, that's one. I want, I want to get back to the others, but <laughs> it's funny because, you know, for me, it's, it's been like a 15 year journey in fitness. And I always look back literally on like the previous year and I'm like, 
man, I thought I knew it all then. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I'm like, now the things that I know, and, and I just know moving forward that that's just how it's going to be my entire career. Hopefully, you know, as long as I continue yeah. to learn and, and grow. So yeah, it's just, it, it's super important to, to know, you know, where your place is now and, and what you want to learn and where you want to go. I, I remember teaching courses uh, with the CrossFits when I used to teach those courses. It was a nutrition course. It was a six week course that I developed for them. And literally every time it's like they'd, I'd get an answer that I didn't know the answer to. And it would add on to the content for the course moving forward. Yeah. And not only just that, I would just be like, you know what? I don't know. Let me look that up and I'll email you later. That's perfect. Yeah. It's like, God forbid you don't know off the top of your head the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you would tell your young self? I would tell my young self a lot. I would, well, so my younger self, I would say no one gives a shit if you have a six pack or not. Like really no one cares. If you go back and look at my Instagram content from 2014, 2015, you'll see a lot of shirtless selfies. Oh, I've got those too. A, a lot of shirtless, <laughs> selfies, a lot of like me lifting with my shirt off. And I was super lean. I was like seven to 8% body fat, deadlifting, like insane amount of weight. So the vast majority of my content was showing off my body and my physical abilities. Interestingly, my business grew the most when I stopped posting that stuff and I started posting, wouldn't you know it, helpful information. Right? <laughs> Basically, all of the content I was posting was I tricked myself into thinking the content I was posting was helpful. Now, it wasn't not helpful, but it wasn't as helpful as it could have been. The vast majority of the reason that I posted that content was ego stroking was, hey, please like this picture or this video so that I can feel better about myself because your like will justify how good I feel about how my body looks right now. Like that's what I was essentially going for. And in the caption, I might put something helpful in there because why not? But my business really started growing when I stopped posting shirtless selfies. Actually, when I gained some body fat, lost some muscle mass, lost some strength, and I spent the vast majority of my time thinking, how can I make this post so helpful that every single person will walk away from this, be able to implement it in their lives immediately to get better? It sends a different message, right? And we see often, might as well just roll into this conversation about social media and fitness and nutrition. And I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. How do you feel about, you know, navigating social media, the, the good stuff with the bad stuff? Like, where are you at in terms of that? As a coach or as a consumer? I guess both. Both. As a coach, let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I would say as a coach, you should be spending little to no time consuming content. A lot of coaches I know will justify not posting on social media because they don't have time or because uh, they like uh, everything that could already be said has already been said or any of a big number of, of excuses. A lot of it really mainly stemming from they're nervous. They're, they're con- they don't know what or how to post and they're worried about being judged by other coaches. And the reality is, as a coach, the majority of your time on social media should be spent making content that's going to help people. Like, that's it. And anytime a coach says to me, yeah, but anything I, that I could say has already been said, I'd be like, well, number one, no, that's not true. Like, because you're going to say it hopefully in a different way. You're not just going to plagiarize someone. Number two is... I guarantee you every single day, your clients are asking you the same questions over and over and over again. Your clients are asking the same stuff every single day. They're saying, well, does it matter how often I eat? Like, oh, which calories are good? Which calories are bad? Like, how do I feel my butt? Like, how do I stop snacking at night? All these questions, right? It's like, you can either send them to someone else's content 
so they can learn from someone else, or you can make the content so they can learn from you. You already have a relationship with them. They already trust you. Why wouldn't you make content that could then help them? And then what's going to happen? They'll get your content. They'll read it. They'll like it. Yeah, my coach made this. This is so helpful. Then they'll share it with their friends. And that's actually how you start to build a network. That's how you start to build a social media following is from your in-person clients. It's from your clients in person. That's how my social media started. It's like a lot of people look at me now and they're like, oh, it's easy for you to say. It's like I started with zero fucking followers. <laughs> yeah. Like I started with zero followers on every platform. It's, I didn't start with any. Like I started with zero. I had the only – my Instagram account specifically blew up when I started posting three times a day every single day for 10 months straight. That's when it blew up. Like crazy. I post more in one week than most people post in a year. And it's like, oh, no wonder. It's because I'm actually posting helpful content so, so, so much. So another thing that coaches will say is, well, I don't want to annoy people with posting content. It's like when have you ever been annoyed when someone is posting helpful information? Yeah. If you don't want to see it, you just scroll through yeah. it and then you find <laughs> stuff that speaks to you and, and you, you watch it. That's it. But no one's ever complained about someone posting really great, helpful content ever. No. Oh God. I wish they would stop <laughs> posting such great stuff all the time. It's like, that's never happened ever. As a coach, you're going to be repeating yourself over and over and over again. If you want to have the opera, if you really actually legitimately want to help more people, then you'll post stuff online because you can reach way more people online. It doesn't mean you have to go solely online. It doesn't mean you have to stop coaching people in person. You can do both. But if, you, if your goal, if your passion, if your purpose is to help as many people as possible, then start fucking posting online because you're wasting time. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. And so the social media thing, this is why I say like you're the perfect storm for, you know. So you went on to train Gary V, who, you know, it's interesting because I talk to people and I'm like, yeah, man, we're going to get jo uh, Jordan Syed on the show. And, and, you know, he used to train Gary Vee and they're like, who's Gary Vee? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, Gary Vee, I think, is more of uh, speaks a lot to the millennial population. So anybody that's yep. like older brother is not going to know who Gary Vee is. But you being on the show is a, a play out of Gary Vee's book, which is, man, you, you want to network with somebody, you want to talk to them, you want to get them on your show, you want to do whatever, just DM them. That's exactly right. right. And, and that's literally like, people are like, how, how are you getting Jordan Syed on the show? I'm like, uh, well, I DM'd him. He responded and he's coming on the show. <laughs> the but, only reason I'm doing jujitsu right now, like six days a week is because someone that does jujitsu at that gym DM me. The only reason that I'm getting acupuncture three times a week right now is because the guy who does acupuncture DM me and said, Hey, like I saw you got injured. Like, would you like me to come and help? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's like, you never know who's going to yeah. respond. You never know who's going to say yes. Absolutely. Message people all like, <laughs> don't be in it. Don't copy and paste message to every single person. Like I literally just, people have been texting me a, a screenshot of this guy who's apparently been going through all the people who follow me and he'll say, Hey, I saw you follow Sai at fitness. If you also like fitness content, send me your email and I'll send you my free meal report. Like that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. But like, if you want something, and you genuinely want to interact with that individual, message them and like, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. Like, here's how I can help. Don't just say, if you need anything, let me know because they're not going to fucking let you know. Say, hey, <laughs> I can help you this way. This is what I'm going to do. Don't pay me. I'm just going to help you for free. Like, let's do this. And maybe you'll get one response out of every 25, but that one could be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the Gary V thing and how that came about. So it came from content. It came because I started my website in 2011, July of 2011, when I was training at Westside Barbell. Um, I was writing one article a week, at least every single week and posting on Facebook. And 
so I started my website in 2011, July 2011, and I was just writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. That's how I ended up getting the internship at Cressy Performance because I was Eric was seeing my content and I was sharing a lot of his content as well. So I wrote Eric. I was like, hey, man, like I, I would love to do an internship with you. And he was like, yeah, I see your stuff all the time. You can do an internship. I didn't have to do an application. Um, went in there. I was their youngest intern. And then through that internship, I got the opportunity to write a guest blog on Eric's website. Because I wrote a guest blog on Eric's website, this one guy who was an accountant in Chicago saw that article on Eric's website, then followed my website. That guy, who is an accountant in Chicago, saw an article on my website in 2012, left a comment on my website asking a question, and I replied, just like I replied to everybody. I answered his question. The article, by the way, was one of my like worst performing, least liked articles ever. It was three ways to improve your posture while sitting at a desk all day. Just no one, like my mom didn't even like the article. Like no one likes, it was a terribly, terrible, it was a, it was a, it was, the content was good, but the article did not do well. But I replied to him and we had established a connection. That accountant in Chicago, years later, would move to New York City, change careers, become a personal trainer, meet Gary, become Gary's personal trainer. And then after his two year deal with Gary, Gary said, who's going to be my next coach? He said, I think I know a guy. I was living in Tel Aviv at that time. So he uh, reached out to me and he was like, hey, you know, do you want to coach Gary? I thought it was a joke. Like, I didn't think that was a real thing. Like, this guy and I weren't friends at that time. We weren't really, we weren't friendly. We just like sort of knew each other. And uh, the reason he picked me is because he knew that I understood posture and movement and performance. And Gary had some really bad postural issues and pain issues. So I moved from Tel Aviv to New York and started coaching Gary. And the guy, his name is Mike Vacanti. He, uh, he's one of my best friends in the world, but the only reason that I got the job with Gary is because I made my website in 2011, got the, started writing articles, interned at Cressy's, wrote that guest article on his page. He saw that article, followed me on my website, left a comment and I replied. Plant the seed, right? That's it. Watch it grow. You never know. You just do, do the work that you do with your intention of putting it out there and, and it ends up catching on and somebody finds it and, and you know, one I mean, step leads to the next. I have over 500 articles on my website, right? If, if I had just, and each one is usually at least 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 words. If I had only written one article, that wouldn't have happened. If I'd only written two articles, that wouldn't have happened. Like it took hundreds of articles of me doing that and hundreds and thousands of posts and tagging Eric and getting in contact with Eric. Like it's not just doing it once or twice. It's going out of your way to spend years knowing that one thing that you did seven years ago will actually help you when you wouldn't have imagined how that would like the, yeah. the way that we pieced all that together. When Mike and I first figured that out, I was like, Mike, how did you find me? He was like, ah, I found you. Uh, I remembered you replied to my art, my, my comment on your, on your post. And it's still there. It's from an article from 2012. And I was like, but how'd you find me? He was like, ah, did you have a guest article on someone's website? I was like, Eric Cressy. He's like, yeah, I, I love Eric. Like I followed his stuff. So the way that this pieces together, it's like, it's crazy. You never know who's going to see your stuff. You never know who's interacting with you. It's one of the reasons that Gary's message around like being kind and a good person is so important because yeah. you might brush someone off and say, ah, fuck that guy. But like that guy could have been a very helpful person to you in the future. You never know. Yeah. You never yeah. know. Yeah. That's why I'm always, my philosophy is like, I'm, I don't burn bridges, mm -hmm. right? Unless it's absolutely necessary if somebody's super toxic you gotta get <laughs> right. them out of your life yeah but 
I'm never going to be mean or rude. Even if I cut, like, even if I decide not to associate with somebody, I'm not going to be rude or mean about it. Cause I still don't know what they're going to be doing 10 years from now and how something could come back around on me. Right? I can, you can ruin an opportunity just as much as you can create one. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, Gary V. So then you start training Gary V and it's gotta be scary. Right. So I'm picturing this, I, I'm, I'm picturing like, just like with anything else, like you're scared up until the point that you're like, Oh, well I'm the trainer. I'm the professional. I know my shit. And Gary doesn't really know about fitness. It's not his realm. So is that kind of how it played out for you? It was petrifying. I had followed Gary for years. <laughs> I'd read his books. I'd watched his videos. It was so scary that I didn't believe that I actually had the job. I'd moved <laughs> all the way from Tel Aviv to New York City. And for the first month, Mike stayed on. So we had a transition month where Mike stayed on just to make sure like, that I understood how it was going to work. Because I traveled with Gary seven days a week for three years straight. If he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in LA, I was in LA. If he was in Ireland, I was in Ireland. Like, I spent more time in airplanes and hotels than I did in my own apartment in New York. It's a huge transition. So for the first month, Mike stayed on and just sort of helped me figure it out. And the entire time I was like, in my head, I was like, I don't really have the job yet. This is a month trial so that if Gary doesn't like me, then Mike will just take over and it'll be okay. So for the whole first month, I'm on edge constantly thinking like, I don't even have this job yet. But starting to coach Gary, like this celebrity that I was obsessed with, I was like, how do, how do I tell him what to do? You know, like I had coached hundreds and thousands of people by that point in time. I know how to coach people, but I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, all right, um, do you want to <laughs> do a glute bridge now? And it's he's like, we had a conversation where he was like, you're the CEO of my body. You tell yeah, me what yeah. to do and I'll do it. And that was really the, the moment that really changed it. I'll never forget this. I had him doing some single leg RDLs and his technique was shit. And I didn't want to tell him that his technique was shit. And I was trying to figure out how to correct him without telling him that what he was doing was wrong, which is a difficult thing to do when you're trying to correct something. I was like, oh yeah, that's great. It's great. Yeah, we're just going to do this. Thing. <laughs> and then and at the end of the workout, he was like, uh, does my technique suck? And I was like, uh, and he was like, he, he, I swear, he goes, I like knowing when I suck at something because that means that I can improve. And I like knowing that. And I was like, yeah, your technique sucks. He was like, good. Now we know I can get better. And from that point, I had a lot more confidence because you know, I just said like, yeah, your technique sucked. And he laughed. He was like, good. Now we know how to get better. And initially it was very scary. It was, you know, cause we're, we're, tr we're training in hotel gyms with people looking and like that's Gary V. And then everyone, it's not just Gary looking. It's like, everyone's looking. Yeah. There was one time I'll never forget this. I, I forgot about this until this moment where we were working out at an LA fitness in Florida at his, at a, at a house in Florida, but an LA fitness. And I was doing some soft tissue work on his neck and it was in Florida. So there's a lot of older people there. So literally a line, a queue starts where like older people think that I work for the gym. <laughs> like, all right, like I'm next. And like, <laughs> I had to explain like, no, 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 he, he travels with me. Like he's mine. Like he's not like, he's not doing this next. But like whenever you're with Gary in a public gym, there's people watching. So I know, and I know for a fact that people videotaping too. So yeah. I'm like, all right, like this isn't just with me and Gary. Like this is going to go online. People are going to see this. Like I have to be on all the time. Not to mention I just got off a 16 hour flight and I'm fucking exhausted. And I haven't slept in two days. Like it's crazy. <laughs> is it demanding, demanding schedule for you working with Gary? Man, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to explain 
how difficult that schedule is. I don't know how he does it. Like he's, he's out of his fucking mind in the yeah. best way possible. Like nobody works harder than that guy. Nobody, nowhere close. It's unbelievable. A lot of people are like, oh, it must have been easy. You know, just, you just train him an hour a day and then you can do what you want. It's like, all right, hold on. Let's break this down. Number one, I've got a, a 20 to 25 minute Uber ride to get to him. Then I have to train him for an hour, 20 to 25 Uber ride back. That's if we're just staying in the city. But with the majority of the time, we're not. Usually I train him at six in the morning. So I'm up at five, get to him by six, train him. Then I've got to go straight to the airport. Then I go straight to the airport. And that's at least a 45 minute Uber ride. Then if everything goes well, I'll wait in line, go through the queue, get on the airplane, assuming there's no delays, assuming there's no any issues with the, with the airplane, get on the plane. I'm not sitting in first class. I'm like, I'm cooped up in like this, like super uncomfortable seat. I haven't gotten my workout in yet. I'm, and then we fly to LA, for example, which is where we went most of the time. So it's a six hour flight. And then I land, the day's already more than half over. Now I've got to go to the hotel, check in again, assuming there's no delays or any issues. Then I have like a shitty hotel to work out in with barely any equipment. And I haven't really eaten much all day, except for whatever like food is on the airplane. I got to go to bed, coach Gary early next morning and fly back. That's the day. Like I don't have much time for myself. The, the schedule is insane. Not to mention if he texts me when I land in LA and he's like, Hey, I need a protein shake. Then I got to go to his office building, get him a protein shake. It's a, it's a brutal schedule. So it's got to be a difficult transition from, you know, being an athlete and training constantly. And then all of a sudden now your training takes a backseat to Gary's, right? Oh my, I mean, it doesn't take much investigating to look at my YouTube videos from like 2015 to then see how my body changed from mm -hmm. six, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019 gained a pretty significant amount of body fat, lost a significant amount of muscle. I didn't miss a workout for five years when I was training to be an elite powerlifter. Like I literally didn't miss one workout. That was the most important thing in my life was getting my workouts in. Like deadlifting four times my body weight was my goal for a long time. So it was my, I didn't miss a workout and uh, my nutrition was on point. Like I just had, I had control of everything because I just, I didn't travel. I just stayed there, worked out, ate, slept. That was it. Started coaching Gary. This is like, I'm missing a lot of workouts. I, I almost quit coaching Gary three times in the first six months because it was so <laughs> demanding, so difficult. Each time I called his assistant, Tyler, and I was like, man, I don't think I can do this anymore. And he would like have to talk me off the ledge. And he'd be like, man, like, it's all right. Like, you just got to keep pushing. It's, it'll be worth it. Da, da, da. And uh, yeah, it was, I went from an elite power lifter to just being like an everyday average Joe. But one of the best things about that was, before I'd ever traveled like that, I didn't understand what it would be like for a businessman or woman who travels a lot for work, right. goes out to dinner, goes out for on these business meetings. Like I didn't understand what that would be like. Now I'm actually better at programming for those people because I understand what that's like, what they might have available to them, how much energy they're going to have. I know how to talk to them better to help them actually motivate them to do it. I know what to say, how to say it, how to program it in a way that's going to be the, make them more likely to do it. So it made me a better coach. It's amazing. That's one of the things I really love about you. You take such an experience and get the positive, suck the life out of that, and then implement that into, <laughs> you know, I think that's important. I mean, for a great coach. I appreciate it. It's one of the reasons why I also say, Someone just asked me, they're like, do you think it's possible to be an online coach without coaching people in person? Oh, I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's possible. You can be an online coach without coaching people in person. But I very firmly believe that coaching people in person will make you a better online coach. Coaching people online will not make you a better in-person coach. 
coaching people in person will make you better. It will teach you so many things that you can't get from only coaching people online. So I think, yeah, you can be an online coach, but just because you're an online coach doesn't mean you're good. Right? Just because you're an online coach doesn't mean you're, like, you're effective, doesn't mean you're helpful, doesn't mean you're as good as you could be. If you want to be the best coach you could be, you got to coach people in person. And then we could also talk about, this is always a debate, like, do you need to be world record strong in order to be a strength coach? No. But if you're weak as shit and you're a strength coach, you're not going to understand what your clients or athletes are going through mentally, emotionally, physically. If you've never been super lean and you're trying to help someone lose fat, how you can't understand mentally, emotionally, strategically what they're going through. Like you can understand the science, but it's one thing to understand the science. It's another thing entirely to understand the practice of it. Sometimes I, I'm like, Certain clients, you're like, oh, yeah, the science doesn't really apply here. Like, I got to pivot. I got to do something else. Yeah. And you have to know to have that intuition to be like, all right, this isn't working for you. We have to switch it up. And if you've done these things yourself, you'll have a better understanding of it. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I think it, in regards to that, because, you know, getting on the topic of, of online coaches and stuff, there's a ton of new coaches just flooding it. The industry just keeps growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger. And to me, I'm like man, it's super saturated at this point. Like there's so many people and I could say like, all right, you know what, Darone, you've got between you and Nicole, you guys are doing this thing together and you've got 35 plus years experience between the two of you guys. You can set yourself apart, but man, sometimes I look at these like brand new coaches that just got their like John Berardi precision nutrition certification. And they're like, all right, cool, go. I'm going to coach everybody. And I'm like, fuck, you're not even good at coaching yet. Correct. But what I would say to that is the only way they're going to get good at coaching is through coaching. So like good on them for getting out there and really doing it. What I would also say is the industry is very saturated, but it is very unsaturated with good coaches. And it's even more unsaturated with good coaches who make good content on a consistent basis. The number of coaches who are making great content on a consistent basis is very, 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 very little, which is why I see a number of coaches that I mentor and speak to, like who started off as your followers in the last six to eight months, growing big followings. And aside from a big following, like they could have a thousand, two thousand followers, but they have easily six figure online coaching business. Because imagine if you have 300 people buying your stuff like that's a ton of people people like i I need to have like a million followers it's like if you have 500 followers who are looking at everything you do liking everything buying everything like you're good like that's a very successful business people are way too focused on the likes and the number of followers and not as focused on the the quality of the follower it's like this it's so so important which is why like listen it's a saturated industry but that's on the very surface level. You go with one layer deeper to being consistent with content, one layer deeper to actually being a good coach who knows what they're talking about. It's not saturated anymore. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, gotcha. So what are some of the things that you end up taking from Gary Vee when you, when you, in terms of the social media? Obviously, you're doing a great job. You're, what, over 600K, over 650K following on, on Instagram now. Like, what are some of the things that, you know, key lessons that you learned from him? The most important one was I wasn't working hard before I started coaching him. Now, keep in mind, I started coaching Gary on June 1st of 2016. I had my own successful online coaching business at that time. I'd already started. I started my online business in July of 2011. I didn't start coaching Gary until June 1st of 2016. So that's like five years of in which I was working on my own business. I was living in Israel on my own dime, 
doing my online coaching. Like I, by all, for all intents and purposes, I was doing well and I was working hard. But when I started coaching Gary and I saw how hard he worked, I realized I wasn't working hard at all. And there was a lot of room to improve. And by that, I mean, I could spend way more time on my business, like significantly more time. Now we get into a, a different discussion here in which like, I was way happier when I lived in Israel. Like I was a happier, more balanced person. I was taking Hebrew classes. I was going out with my friends. I was like living on the beach. I was spending a few hours a day working on social media and making content. And it was great. I had, a, I had like a thousand followers on Instagram and I was living a good life and I was, it was great. But in terms of how hard I was working on my business, it was not that hard. When I started coaching Gary and I saw how hard he was working, I was like, man, I can do better. So what that allowed me to do is I essentially looked at those three years with Gary as three years in detention, right? It was like, <laughs> I've got three years where I'm on someone else's schedule. They are completely and utterly in control of where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing. So I'm going to take these three years and work as hard as I possibly can. I started posting three times a day, every day on Instagram. My audience went from 5,000 to over 200,000 in less than a year. I started really taking YouTube seriously. And I went from maybe getting a thousand views on a video to getting like hundreds of thousands of views on videos uh, over the course of over a year. And I started a podcast with zero followers, like literally zero one listening to now getting millions of downloads. So it's like, this has all taken almost a decade of time, but from June one to that, actually Gary called me out on my bullshit one day. It was December 26th of 2016, December 26, 2016. We were in Florida on winter break. Uh, I was coaching and Mike was actually there. Uh, Mike had just come down to visit. And Gary was like, man, how many times have you posted on Instagram this week? And I was like, like three. He was like, man, you gotta do three a day. I was like, three a day? But it was December 27th, not 26, December 27th. I was like, I'm not gonna do three a day. Like people are gonna get annoyed, all those usual excuses, right? And he was like, you gotta do three a day. Uh, I was like, all right, I'll do three a day. So I did two that day. On December 27th, I did two. December 28th, I come in and he's like, did you post three times yesterday on Instagram? And I was like, yep. And he was like, you're lying. I saw you only posted twice. I was like, fuck, I didn't think you'd look. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's going to look. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then from December 28th, 2016 until June, 2017, I posted three times a day, every single day. With the exception of two Sundays, which I only posted twice on those days, my audience went from 5,000 to over 200,000 in that time frame. The whole purpose of this story being, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do. It was specifically the amount of work that I was able to put in was more than tripled simply by watching Gary, simply by seeing how hard he worked. It's insane. And I think a lot of us, we justify not working as hard as we could. We justify like not taking action for whatever, any number of reasons, usually uh, out of insecurity and or laziness, realistically. I think it's just part of it. But once you actually decide to make that a habit to do that, the same thing we tell our clients, when you actually decide to make this something that you're going to prioritize, mm -hmm. you're going to start seeing results. And that was really it. It was, it was the three times a day, every day thing that changed it forever. That's how I literally took my TikTok from zero followers to 200,000 followers in a matter of months, just because I was like, all right, I know what I have to do. I'm going to post several times a day. So I did that for several months. And what do you know? It fucking works. You just got to do it. 
So Nicole and I obviously are getting into the uh, social media and the content and I'm like, I've just upgraded from like posting once or twice a week to like, all right, now I'm going to do five. Like I'm trying to scale it up with myself Mm -hmm. as just like I would treat a client with their nutrition habits um, or their training is like little by little, you're going to grow it. But then I'm like, man, so I'm like this week, I'm like, all right, cool. I have a goal of, I want to post three videos and five posts total. And then right. Right. And the video piece, I'm like, man, I watched Jordan Syatt's videos and I'm like, my videos look like shit. Do I really want to post this? No, go back and look at my videos <laughs> from 2015. Don't yeah, look at, look, yeah. look, hold on. Look, it's just like, it's, <laughs> so look, 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 hold on. Do you see? What's up, man? Hi. <laughs> I have a full-time video videographer named Rico who is not only just a videographer, he's an incredible videographer. He's unbelievable at what he does. Like, and I only have this because I saw D-Rock and I was like, man, I, I should have my own D-Rock. <laughs> but like, he's amazing at what he does. If you go back and look at my stuff from 2015, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 15. And not to mention, you're comparing two completely different books. And you're comparing two completely different books in two completely different languages, mm-hmm. right? It's like, don't compare what I post today to what you post today. Compare maybe what I did in 2014, 2015. Then you'll be like, oh man, like there are videos of me on YouTube in 2012 in my college gym, weights clinking everywhere, me going side to side, face red, and like, hey, my name's Jordan Syatt from SyattFitness.com. In this video, I'm going to teach you how to do the single leg Romanian deadlift, <laughs> and I hope you find this helpful. Like that was it. Compare that, and I guarantee you're better now than I was then. It's just a matter of time intuitively you kind of know that in your head but you, you that insecurity just gets in you in your head and you're like oh fuck like i just i just did a video today with my buddy in the in the kitchen and he's like holding the <laughs> ipad and it's like there's a part where it's like moving and shaking and i'm like well can i edit that out oh but if i edit that out it kind of looks and sounds like shit so i'm just gonna deal with the camera moving and shaking like it is dude you know you know, you know what shakshuka is right mm-hmm. yeah so I was actually, so I was born in Israel. I came here when I was three months I old. My tell because I could like I could see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I made a video. If you look up Jordan Syatt Shakshuka on Google, you'll find a video that I made in my college dorm room in 2011 or 2012. I forget. And it's literally, I just took my phone. No, I didn't have a, it, was, no, it wasn't a camera phone. I had an actual camera. Crazy, right? I had a digital camera that I propped up on my tiny little like college dorm room stove. And I was like, hey guys, like <laughs> I'm gonna show you how to make my favorite meal, shakshuka. <laughs> and I was like, no editing, no cuts, just like you am cutting the mut. Like I didn't prepare it ahead of time. I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to cut the mushrooms now. All right, like awkwardly talk. You know, it's just like you have to start somewhere. <laughs> and and the cool the, that's one of the best parts is having those videos and having the terrible articles that I wrote in 2011, having them there now, because then I can have a conversation like this and say, I understand because I did it too. Like no one start, go look at Gary's old videos. Go look at his videos on YouTube from 2009, 2010. Like they're not great. They really aren't like everyone starts somewhere. So, I mean, it's better to do than to not do it all. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, a, it's, I try to think of myself as my own client, right? So when I work with my clients, it's like, you're not, if you can't squat on day one, you're going to maybe start with a goblet squat and shift your weight. Right. So it's, you know, it's the same thing, right? You're going to, you're starting here and then you're progressing to where you want to be in long-term picture one year, two years, five years, 10 years. Right. So yeah. same, same kind of dialogue I have with my clients in, in, in terms of habits. 
So what direction are you going in now with, with everything that you're doing? I know you got the inner circle, you're, you're doing all that stuff. Like what, what's the deal there? For me right now, man, I am just trying to relax. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking a lot of time to myself. I'm, I'm doing a lot of jujitsu playing video games. Like I obviously I, I have systems in place to like make content. I have Rico who helps me an unbelievable amount, but one thing, especially during, you know, lockdown and everything is I, I really, for the first time in years was forced to take more of a, a, a break and relax. It's been great. Like I'm actually sleeping eight hours a night. Like I'm not doing any all nighters anymore. I was doing that at least once or twice a week when I was coaching Gary training constantly, like my training and nutrition is great. So for me right now, uh, I'm at a point where I'll say this, the, the other, one of the other great things I learned about coaching Gary or from coaching Gary was learning what type of life I want. Mm. I definitely don't want that. Like I don't want his life and it's not because his life is bad. It's like, it's great. And I think it, it make that life makes him the most happy for me. Nope. Like I don't want to travel that much. I have no interest in that. I definitely have no interest in having a business with 800 to a thousand employees I saw him go through some unbelievably terrible days doing things that like I never want to have to do. Yeah. Like people, people like glorify this idea of, of a high powered CEO entrepreneur. It's like, you have no idea what the hell they have to deal with. And it's like, yeah, it's their choice. But like, you probably don't want to live that life. It's like, I definitely don't. So for me getting to a point where I can feel okay with relaxing and playing video games for an hour a day and not being feeling guilty or shameful that I'm just relaxing and taking time for myself or having dinner with my fiance and my cousin and his wife and their daughter yesterday. Like, that's great. Like I would, I would like to have a life that I can enjoy family and friends and myself as well as build a business instead of only focusing on one. Yeah. You got to do what's right for you, what works for your life and, and, and what you're, I mean, for Gary, I'm sure he loves what he does. Yeah, Um, he does. And, and, Yep. And, and that's his choice. And it's not for everybody. That's exactly right. Which is why I think like one of the things he says that I think one of his most famous lines is eat shit for three years, eat caviar for the rest of your life. It's funny. It's crass, but it has a lot of truth in it. And that like the three years that I was with him were the detention in which I ate shit for three years. And it's given me an opportunity now to take a little bit more of a break. Doesn't mean I can't work. I still work hard. I still probably work harder than most people, but it's a significant more amount of time to myself. Like instead of posting three times a day, I, I post about one time a day. Sometimes I'll take two days off. Crazy. Like for me <laughs> taking two days off posting on Instagram, that's crazy. Like that is something I didn't do for over three years. So uh, yeah, now for me, just relaxing and trying to help people. There you go. Cool. Nicole. What's your superpower, Jordan? Oh man, my superpower. I think that I am just naturally gifted at being a very good listener. And I think that's if you if you listen to my podcast and like my interviews with my inner circle members and my coaching style, I think I'm very very good at listening and that's what allows me to be a good coach. Mm. In terms of a lot of coaches, they have all the knowledge in the world, but instead of listening, they're like, "All right, we'll do this." Like, all right, well, yeah, this is what you need to do. It's like, well, hold on. Coaching isn't just about repeating information. Coaching is about helping the client figure out what they need to do on their own. 
And in order to have a conversation that allows the client to figure out what they need to do on their own, you need to listen. You shut up. You might know what they need to do, but you need to let them figure it out. And in order to let them figure it out, you got to be a really good listener and really understand how to lead the conversation in a way that allows them to talk. So I think that's, that's where I'm able to shine the most. All right. One last question. What's your favorite lift? Bench, deadlift, or squat? Deadlift. Best lift. Bye. Yes. What's your favorite? Deadlift is my favorite too. I'm going to say, I'm going to say deadlifts. I hate squatting. I, really hate pressing. I absolutely hate it. Um, especially now coming back to the gym after, you know, COVID and not, not having access to a squat. I started this week and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do the leg press. I'm not going to jump into the squat. And, uh, are you sore? I, I just know that my squat mechanics are going to be off because anytime I've taken t- time away from squats, even when I was bodybuilding and I was yes. like crushing the leg press instead of squatting, or if yes. I had knee pain and I had to do something else, anytime I take away from uh, time away from a squat, my mechanics are totally fucked when I come back. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start with the bar. Maybe I'll load 95 pounds next week on the bar and just, you know, do a, f- a few movements and, and not kill myself. And soreness, Nicole, oh, yeah. forget it. I, I actually, so I didn't, I didn't train legs for all of COVID because I, it was literally five months the gyms were closed in New York and I didn't train legs a, because it was an excuse to not train legs uh, and B it's uh, legs without weight to me is cardio. So I was like, I, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to wait till I get back in the gym. And now I'm, I'm feeling it like first day, first day back in. I'm like, I'm going to start with legs <laughs> and it sucked. Um, but yeah, favorite favorite lift is definitely going to be a deadlift. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Jordan, listen, man, I love your content. I think it's it's real great. I think your message is good, and I, I yeah. think it's sound advice. That's part of what we try to do in our show is, you know, our slogan, real science, real facts, real food. I think everything that you do kind of preaches what's kind of in our wheelhouse, what we like to talk about. Um, I think it's good, sound, solid information and you're not, you know, it's, it's like, you don't push this, Hey, like there's, there's a bunch of extremes, right? So you've got like, Hey, keto is the best thing in the world or intermittent fasting is the best thing in the world or carnivore is the best thing in the world or the zone diet is the best thing in the world, whatever it is. And then you've got the opposite. That's people telling you not to do any of that. Don't get me started, man. Yeah. <laughs> right? We just right? did a whole podcast on this. Yeah. And, and we just did the whole intuitive eating thing. And we were like, the intuitive eating thing is killing me right now. It, it really is. Dude. Oh. <laughs> I was just talking to Rico before we got on about a, a possible video with characters about that. But I also know if I do a video with characters about that, there's going to be so much anger <laughs> and hate. And it's like, oh, I don't even know if I want to deal with it. I, I can't, but I can't. The, those movements are equally as bad yeah. as the opposite of them, which is saying like the keto carnivore and fasting is the only way. It's to say like, just don't do anything at all because 95% of diets fail. It's like, where the fuck did you get that statistic? Number one, it's like, number, you're killing. It's like absolutely ridiculous. I yeah. love you. Oh, go ahead. I, you, I was just going to say one of the things that I was listening to um, the other day that I absolutely love is um, you were talking about not fearing the word diet mm, yep. and not fearing getting on the scale. I think Kenzie is your blonde yeah, alter yeah. ego. Who, oh my God, that <laughs> video of her stepping on the scale and cursing and then stepping <laughs> off is hilarious. If, if any of you listening haven't watched it, you should definitely. That actually has motivated me a lot, even as a coach. 
on the days where I'm feeling really kind of worn down, repeating myself about why the scale weight changes. Sometimes I watch that and just laugh before I go out to a client. It done just <laughs> it calms you down because you're like, okay, don't take it so serious. Even as a coach, you can coach them through this. So absolutely, it helps. I, I literally just posted a video on TikTok a few hours ago. It's 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 going viral. Uh, it was a video of me showing. I was like, listen, I'm going to gain over two pounds in less than 60 seconds. And I so would you like drink? Oh, I caught like drink. half of that before we jumped on this. And I was like, oh, I'll watch this later. Jordan's jumping on in person. Yeah. Did you like drink, just drink something? I, I tell clients, just drink water. You'll gain like it. a pound. When I showed them, I was like, listen, so I'm going to weigh myself right now. And I weighed in, I was 149. I was like, look, now I'm going to drink all these waters. No now. way. <laughs> water. And I was like, yeah. now I'm going to weigh in. I was 152 and a half. And yeah. I, that was literally less than 60 seconds and I gained two and a half pounds yeah. and people are like, Oh my God. <laughs> and it's crazy because as coaches, we take this for granted, but it's like, it, mm. it, these are the things I've said that I've actually made that exact video, but instead of two and a half pounds before I did one pound and I've made that same video before many times, I've used that this content many, many times and many coaches would say, Oh, but I've said this so many times. It's like, yeah. And you're going to say it many more times. Right. You need to repeat shit. Like when your clients will ask you the same questions throughout the course of coaching them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just, it's not about teaching them something, something as much as it's just the reassurance. Right. Part of coaching. And that's, yeah. if you look at social media as coaching, then you'll start to understand why you should repeat yourself over and over and over again. And maybe not say the exact same thing the exact same way but learn about how to say new th- say the same thing in different ways. Someone literally just commented on one of my posts yesterday saying like, I know you say the same things over and over again, but the way you find a new way to frame it helps a lot. It's like, that's why I brought in the characters. Yeah. Because I was like, I've said the same stuff so seriously so many times. I'm going to put a wig on and say it in a funny way now <laughs> and let's see how that goes. And it's like, it helps people yeah. enjoy it. Well, it's that entertaining piece too that gets people to listen, right? That exactly engaging right. Piece, right. A hundred percent. It's it's you gotta cross crossbreed like the the science and the entertainment and it's 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 golden, man. I love your content. It's real good stuff. Thank you, man. Gary Gary says this might help with your content creation. Gary says there's three types of content. You have creative content, and then you have informative content, and then you have the two put together. If you could do the two put together, you win right? Now, either creative or informative will work, but if you combine them, you've won. Mm, Great advice. Cool cool stuff, man. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, you know, hang out with us. Hang out with us. Yeah. (laughs) For for a little while, talk, shoot the shit. I love everything you're doing, man. Keep doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Syatt, if you enjoyed this content, click subscribe, comment below, and give us five stars, and you'll hear us next week. 